Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, high-growth tech companies have been hit the hardest by recent market shifts, haven't they? Yet almost 80% of companies are expected to either increase their tech budgets in the coming year or keep it the same. That's according to new research from Bain & Company's third annual Global Tech Report. Now, despite the current economic climate, tech will remain a critical investment and as a central source of productivity across global businesses. To tell us more, Ravi Vijayaragavan, head of Bain & Company's Apex tech and cloud services joins us now. Hi, Ravi. Hi, how are you? Doing well, Ravi. And it looks like the tech industry was doing well as well. At least 2021 was a banner year for tech, right? But we know that in the last few months, we have seen several macroeconomic and geopolitical factors playing a role here. And there have been some market shifts, haven't there? Absolutely, you're right. Yeah, tech, if you go back decades, uh, at least what we call the tech industry today, has been, you would say, a nice and fun ride. It's not always been smooth, but tech has been a force for change, a force of innovation, and a force of disruption over a long period of time. What we're seeing today, I think, as you referenced, we're coming off a banner year. Uh, That's one part of it. But in addition to the usual elements that we see, which is a lot of innovation, some of that is disruptive, and we adapt to that and so forth, which is painful in some cases and such. We're also seeing the juxtaposition with supply chain disruptions from COVID, the geopolitical tensions, and most recently the interest rates, uh, rate hikes and inflation. So all of that together has made it a, a bit of a painful period, I'd say, this year for many tech companies. So what's next? Because your study shows that in spite of that, tech budgets mm-hmm. remain bullish or at least unhampered by recessionary trends in the economic outlook. So that should keep tech companies very well in shape. It should. And you're raising a great point. If you look at the longer term trend, there has been more and more consumption of tech, whether that's in businesses or in our personal lives. And that secular trend, we believe, is absolutely set to continue. We believe the years to come, we'll see even more innovation and some disruption as well as a result of that innovation, much as we've seen in the past years. Now, that's not to say that there may not be near-term pain for some companies. If you look at it, the demand side of the equation went up quite markedly during COVID. As you know, many of us bought more TVs, more laptops, more gaming devices, more cars even, And some of that was demand that is, you could call it pull forward demand. So there's a bit of a correction there. As you know, PC industry, laptops and such have have been experiencing much slower growth this year than many had expected and and some cases shrinking as well. So you'll see some of that. But as that works through the system, companies understand that the productivity growth and the benefits they get from digitization and digitalization are really meaningful. And often, uh, in, in many cases, they help reset business models. So All of that's going to continue, and that, I think, is going to provide a nice tailwind for the sector over a longer period of time. Being willing to invest in tech is one thing, but knowing how to use tech effectively is quite another, isn't it, Ravi? To what extent do you think that needs to be addressed more widely among enterprises of all sizes? Indeed. And, you know, if we all look at our kids, I think we'll we'll learn a lot about using tech more so than than Mm. you might imagine. Yes, you're absolutely right, I think, in a a more serious note. The adoption of tech is one thing and the widespread you know, usage of tech and the deriving the benefits of tech is another. But there are a lot of encouraging signs if you look at China and India and the role that ubiquitous network connectivity, lots of cloud computing and the money that has been poured into really innovative startups has created. 
uh, people there are much more comfortable paying digitally and, and buying online than many advanced countries. So I think there's a lot to be learned from some of those examples. And, and the more we experience the benefits of these technologies, I think we'll adopt them. So I feel that that has actually changed quite a bit, especially in the past decade or so with the ubiquity of mobile phones and uh, digital connectivity. In which specific areas of technology do you actually see growth, the most growth? It's a great question. What we've seen when you step back is that a number of businesses, and many of these are internet businesses that you and I are very familiar with, have been able to grow extraordinarily fast in the past few years. And that's actually a function of the fact that there is now plentiful connectivity. There's a lot of cloud computing that has been put, infrastructure that has been put in place, which we can leverage and scale up very quickly. There are new technologies like artificial intelligence, edge computing, and the metaverse, which we're all getting more familiar with now. So they're all enabling a set of retail experiences, a set of media consumption experiences, and so on and so forth. So there's really no limit. And what we knew as a tech sector was really companies supplying technology products and services. But now tech sector is underpinning the innovation in practically every other sector there is, whether that's retail, that's financial services, and so on and so forth. So I would say it's going to be really widespread and, and broad, and that's going to continue. I don't think the slowdown we're seeing now or the capital market jitters are going to, going to change that. Now, I understand your research also shows that over 75% of the largest venture capital investments in recent years went to mm-hmm. IT infrastructure and industry-focused enterprise software companies. How does this truly illustrate the potential for innovation moving forward? There's been so much innovation and there's been so much investment. If you just look at the investment in tech across all classes, venture capital and private equity and so forth, it's about quadrupled since 2017 to almost about a trillion dollars, I should say. And what that has done is stoked enormous amount of innovation across sectors. And not only have we seen some new products and services new to the world being created, but we've also seen this money actually being put to disrupt some sectors like enterprise software and so forth that we thought were immune to disruption, right? There was a way we did ERP and we were all comfortable with it and that's how we used it. But even that has been disrupted with this new wave of innovation. And so what we're now seeing is all of these companies, the old world companies, so to speak, they have good core products, they've got good services, they make money and they're adjusting to the new reality in some cases more gracefully than others but there are plentiful companies that have really accommodated the new reality and have done really well as a result of that. Since we are talking about technology, Ravi, one of the things that has been making headlines off and on in the last year at least is the semiconductor shortage around the world. And of course, now we're seeing the United States, for instance, proposing a meeting of the Chip Alliance, Chip 4, Mm -hmm. with countries such as South Korea, Japan and Taiwan as part of a friend-shoring strategy of moving supply chains away from their rivals towards trusted partners. But we know that Taiwan, for instance, in this case, Mm -hmm. is an obstacle for countries that are wary of antagonizing China. So the question really is, whenever there are issues such as this, where there are supply chain issues, there are geopolitical issues connected with what powers technology, i.e. semiconductors, how to deal with something like that with technology, with the use of technology, perhaps? That's an excellent question. We're all wrestling with that. I think what one way to think about this is what COVID did and the supply chain disruptions that came from COVID really pointed us all, you know, shown a light on the fact that the chip industry, which is so central to our lives, 
actually has some very unique characteristics. And one of those is that at almost every aspect of chip production, there's a small number of companies that can really provide the tools and equipment and the materials and the manufacturing technology to make those chips. It's a small number of companies. Taiwan, which you note, is particularly notable for one major company called Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing or TSMC, Mm. which makes an enormous proportion of the most advanced chips in the world. These are the microprocessors that go into your phones and laptops and so forth. So they're the most advanced ones. And it's got an enormous share of that piece. And the whole disruption that we've seen in supply chain, which honestly is spread across all of semiconductors, not just the most leading edge, but even some of the more mundane chips, but it's shown a light on this and companies and countries have realized they need to be more participative in this important strategic sector. And that's what you're seeing a lot of the shifts now in terms of countries putting forth large amounts of investment and companies diversifying their production across different locations. And so you're going to see more and more of this in the years to come. But the reality in semiconductors is that no single country can really have an end-to-end sector and so on because it's so specialized and you rely on so many companies from different countries to make that end product come together. Here's the thing, Ravi, one last thing, and we have to talk about sustainability and Mm -hmm. the degree to which all of this technology is actually environmentally friendly. We know you're going to need a lot of data centers to power this. A lot goes into the manufacturing process as well. The Internet already has a huge carbon footprint and Mm -hmm. any tech solution would too. So what exactly is being done to ensure that the carbon footprint stays as little as possible? And that's one of the most important things we all need to figure a way out of. And when you look at it, there is a lot that's already happening. So you take data centers. There's an increasing trend and has been for many years for data centers to be powered by renewable energy, right? That's the location of data centers in areas where the cooling required is lower, whether that's underwater, that's in the more Arctic zones and so on and so forth. If you look at uh, Bitcoin mining and so forth, there are changes in those protocols that are coming that are going to make it less you know, compute power intensive. Semiconductor manufacturing requires a lot of water and more and more of that is actually recycled. So there's lots of micro changes if you want to think about it that way. And then as a sector and as a whole, we need to get more comfortable with the trade-offs involved when we, when we apply sustainability lens to what we do. So I think the sector is adjusting and technology in some ways, I think you referenced it earlier, is going to be our big friend here. The more we can measure, the more we can analyze, the better we can do this. And I think that's what we'll, we'll get to in the years to come. Thanks very much for that, Ravi. Ravi Vijayaraghavan, Head of Bain & Company's APEC Tech and Cloud Services. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.